0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the EMJ Health Podcast, entitled Revolutionising Non-Melanoma Skin Cancer Treatment with Rhenium SCT, a non-invasive single session approach. My name is Sue Saville, an independent health journalist, and today I'm pleased to bring you a discussion on the latest breakthroughs in the treatment of the most common form of cancer in humans non-melanoma skin cancer using non-invasive rhenium SCT treatment, which is a personalised therapy using radioisotopes to treat complex lesions in a single session. We're going to focus on what benefits this innovative therapy can bring to patients in a single painless procedure, and we'll discuss the clinical efficacy and patient outcomes using rhenium SCT and consider how it's transforming the landscape of non-melanoma skin cancer treatment. This podcast has been sponsored by Oncobeta, a medical device company specializing in innovative epidermal radioisotope therapies. And to guide us through the benefits of this new technology and give us an idea of what it means for patients, I'm joined by two very special clinicians, Professor Rod Hicks, who is Professor of Medicine at the University of Melbourne and Monash University, Australia, previously Director of Cancer Imaging at the Peter McCullum Cancer Centre, and an internationally recognised pioneer in oncological pet imaging and therapeutic nuclear medicine, with more than 30 years' experience of both. Professor Hicks is the founder, the chief medical officer and board chair of Precision Molecular Imaging and Theranostics, known as PREMIT. Also with us, we have Dr. Min Lee, who is a skin cancer GP with experience in multiple health settings across Victoria, in Australia and in Singapore, practicing exclusively in this field for the last eight years. She has postgraduate qualifications in dermoscopy, dermatology and surgical anatomy. Dr. Lee is experienced in the diagnosis and treatment of skin cancers and is committed to providing her patients with the best treatment outcomes. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much for joining this podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Sue. And I do want to thank Ian well for giving us this opportunity to share our experience about this very exciting treatment for non-melanoma skin cancers.
2: I I concur uh, uh, with uh, Min's uh, thoughts there. Uh, It's a great pleasure to uh, join you and to, to join my good friend and colleague, uh, Min, uh, in this discussion.
0: So you two are colleagues and friends. Uh, that, that's great to hear that you've worked together on this. And for our audience, a lot of people will know some background about this, but just let's set the scene to, to start with. Uh, Dr. Min Lee, what does this term non-melanoma skin cancer cover and what causes it and how common is it, and particularly where you both work in Australia?
1: Yeah, sure. So broadly speaking, non-melanoma skin cancers cover all types of skin cancers that are not melanoma, in very simplified terms. Um, They are also known as keratinocyte cancers. The most common type consists of basal cell carcinomas, or BCCs, and squamous cell carcinomas, or SCCs. In Australia, approximately, of all these non-melanoma skin cancers, approximately 70% consists of BCCs. About 30% SCCs, and the rest of them are made up of the one common type skin cancers like Merkel cell carcinomas. Um, very, very common globally and especially so in Australia. I think it's estimated that globally one in every three cancers that are diagnosed is actually a skin cancer. Um, most skin cancers are excluded from global statistics because most of the time they don't, they don't lead to, um, they're not main causes of death. Um, but the inc- incidence is still increasing worldwide, and it's estimated that 2 to 3 million non-melanoma skin cancers occur each year around the world. Um, as you've already mentioned, in Australia, it is the most common type of skin cancer, or most common type of cancer, excuse me, uh, with highest incidence in the world, followed by New Zealand very closely. And it is estimated that 2 out of 3 Australians will be diagnosed with skin cancer in their lifetime, which is an incredibly high amount.
0: Just remarkable statistics that that you've delivered there to show the the impact. And interesting, as you say, then, that it's not necessarily even included in the statistics. So the ones you've given us may not even be the full reach of this. That's right. It may very well be underreported. And it may be a lot of
1: cases that go unrecognized or underrecognized. And I think a lot of people actually die with a skin cancer, not knowing that they've actually had one. That's not surprising at all that that would happen. Um, the most common, the most, the biggest risk for skin cancers is exposure to sunlight and UV, um, which is why the incidence is so high in the southern hemisphere. Just because, with how the Earth rotates in summertime, the southern hemisphere is a lot closer to the sun and we get a lot more UV exposure compared to the northern hemisphere in the, in the summertime.
0: Thank you. And and Professor Hicks, then, the treatment that we're talking about, using a radioisotope, this rhenium-188 in this case, what's it all about? Is it very new? What's its therapeutic effect? What's so novel about it?
2: Well, the the concept of using radioactivity to treat skin cancers is actually extremely old, goes back to the discovery of radiation, uh, radioactivity by Marie Curie. Uh, When uh, she uh, isolated radium, uh, she gave a sample to her professor, uh, one Henri Becquerel, and we measure now the dose of of radiation in becquerels, so the administered activity of of radiation in Becquerel's honouring his involvement in that discovery. Uh, He put a vial of the radium into his fob pocket and, and got a burn on his skin. And uh, he mentioned it to uh, Pierre Curie, uh, Marie's husband, who then proceeded to put the vial against his forearm in in what was the first controlled radiobiological experiment ever done. And he also got a burn on his skin and he showed it to a colleague at the uh, hospital Salpetriere in Paris, who was a dermatologist who put two and two together and uh, noticed this took a long time to heal uh, and decided this might be a very good treatment for skin cancers and started using it uh, in what became the Radium Institute or the the Curie Institute uh, uh, in in later times. And so for almost 30 years, um, uh, radium was applied to the skin for the treatment of various skin conditions, also inserted into tumours to treat them. And in fact, uh, even as late as 1951, uh, uh, radium was still being used as a cancer treatment uh, th- this preceded the availability of chemotherapy and w- was in parallel with the use of external beam radiotherapy for the treatment of, of cancers the problem with radium however was that it's, uh, well radium 226 which was the isotope has about a thousand year half life so it was became a, a major storage problem uh, and it also uh, got into the bones because it has similarities to calcium. And many people would know about uh, radium dial painters who got um, uh, cancers of their jaw and bones. Uh, And so radium went out of favour. But the principle was a very sound one that uh, the penetration of radioactive particles into the skin uh, could kill those cancer cells. And then the normal skin cells that were surrounding that area would move into the area and heal the wound uh, eventually. And so the principle is is very old, but the application of it is very m- much newer with, with the uh, radium treatment and, and much more t- technically sophisticated as well. So
0: what has been developed then? What is innovative about the way it's been used, given the background you've given us? that it's, The idea has been around for a while.
2: Yeah, the, the most important thing was the ability to deliver in a very predictable way a measurable radiation dose to the skin, and that's done through a combination of combining the rhenium into a paste that is then applied to the skin, and the amount of radioactivity uh, is divided by the area over which it's delivered. Uh, and fed into a computer program that estimates how much radiation will be delivered in the given time period and to what depth the particles from radium will pass up to three millimetres in tissue. But as they pass through tissue, they lose their energy. So in the first millimetre of tissues, more of the energy will be deposited, in the second less, and in the the third millimetre the least of all. And so to deliver a high radiation dose to the full depth of penetration needs a longer time if the lesions are superficial Uh, it takes a shorter period of time and less activity applied to the skin. And that's where we work very closely with men in estimating through dermoscopy uh, and through the biopsies that are done before we uh, plan the treatment, uh, knowing the depth of the lesion and also the area that needs to be treated because uh, what we apply in radioactivity to the surface of the skin will determine how long that radioactivity needs to be there to deliver the desired dose to the skin lesion. So,
0: so Dr. Lee, then you're using this treatment for your patients. What sort of benefits have your patients found from using Rhenium SCT? How are they responding?
1: Yeah. So there's been quite a few benefits. Um, the main thing is that Rhenium is a non-invasive treatment. So the treatment itself is virtually painless. There's no actual surgery that's involved. So there's no actual incision into the skin. There's no cutting involved. There's no suturing. There's no actual surgical scar. Um, from a patient's point, of view, it's usually a single session type treatment uh, as opposed to conven- uh, compared to conventional radiation therapy where a patient might need to go to a radiation center multiple times a week over the course of five to six weeks, which can be logistically challenging. Um, and in particularly in Australia where we've got such a large geography to cover. We have a lot of patients from rural and remote areas where attending um, a, a clinic for multiple radiation sessions or surgery in a full lot can be quite difficult. This is quite a convenient treatment for them. So far, the treatment has been incredibly well tolerated for patients. There's no need for any general anaesthetic. There's really no need for any local anaesthetic either, apart from when the biopsy is done, but not for the actual treatment. Um, we're finding it's a great treatment option for patients with multiple comorbidities, so patients who are really elderly, patients with really impaired mobility where, for example, they may not be able to lie stillly on in a surgical chair or an operating theater for long hours to undergo a skin graft or a flap. The cosmetic results have been excellent. As mentioned, there's no actual surgical scar, so you don't get the actual ditch mark, you don't get a um, you don't get any pulling on the skin, you don't get any potential distortion of anatomy that you might otherwise get, sometimes from
0: grafts or breaths as well. That's really encouraging to hear how well-tolerated it is and the results you've been getting. And So, Professor Hicks, so all treatments are a balance of risk and benefit. Um, what's the equation then with rhenium SCT, the efficacy of this treatment against any special precautions or side effects like <laughs> radiation risks, perhaps, to, to the patients or indeed to clinical staff?
2: The, um, the the radiation uh, is applied uh, on, onto a foil uh, overlying the skin. And so the only time that the patient is exposed to any radiation is when the, the paste is actually on their skin. And as soon as it's removed, there's no further radiation risk to them. They can walk out of the department uh, enter into the general public, hop on a, on a plane. Uh, as Min was uh, talking about the, the benefits to patients, uh, I recall uh, several of our patients have travelled probably as far as you can possibly travel for a treatment, uh, one from from Darwin in the far north of Australia and another from Perth uh, in the far west of Australia. You couldn't think of, of travelling perhaps further for, for a treatment and they came in the morning, um, had their treatment, flew home in, in the, on the same day. Uh, so it's an incredibly um, convenient treatment for many of these patients, particularly if they're coming from remote areas. Uh, the in the acute phase, uh, there is really, as Min pointed out, there's there's really no side effects at all. They can walk out of the department without any redness or any pain or anything uh, uh, at that stage. What does happen uh, over the course of the coming days and weeks is that the radiation uh, damage that's done to to the cancer cells uh, through breaking the DNA leads to the death of those cells. And any time that you get uh, death of cells in the body, you will mount an immune response. Uh, You'll have white cells that move move into the area that... uh, clear the debris, the clear the dead and dying uh, cells. And so uh, within a week or so, we start to see redness, uh, some sloughing of the skin, uh, often a bit like a graze uh, that you'd expect the, the healing phase of, of a graze or a burn. Uh, it may weep a little bit. Uh, during that period, it's important that the, the patient maintains uh, cleanliness in the skin, protects it, Uh, from uh, bacteria entering it because secondary infection could be a complication when the integrity of the skin is broken by that uh, uh, process of dead and dying cells. Eventually, it will form a scab crust over and, uh, again, uh, care of that scab becomes a very important part of the aftercare of this treatment to keep it uh, supple and moist, and particularly not to pick it. Um, we, we often have to encourage uh, inveterate scab thickers not to do that because it uh, firstly increases the risk of infection. And secondly, uh, it uh, slightly increases the risk of scarring uh, under the, uh, the area. But we've treated some very, very large lesions uh, in quite vulnerable places. Um, the ear on the eyebrow, the nose, uh, with excellent um, uh, cosmetic results. Uh, we have had one, uh, one case where there was a complication where uh, the uh, cartilage on, on the ear was damaged. Uh, uh, and even though uh, that was uh, less than optimal uh, cosmetic outcome, the consequence of uh, that particular patient having surgery would likely have been significantly greater defect than was uh, eventually achieved. But the vast majority of patients, the skin uh, heals perfectly uh, well, uh, often looks better than the skin surrounding it because it's rejuvenated. It's like having a facelift. Uh, uh, One of our very first patients, men will remember, was a a fellow in his 90s who had an extensive tumour involving most of his ear uh, lobe. Uh, extending right down into the ear canal, and it was quite an extensive tumour. He uh, would likely have lost most of his ear had he had surgery to remove this, uh, which would have been incredibly inconvenient for an elderly man uh, who was reliant on uh, reading glasses uh, and a hearing aid, uh, both of which uh, hung uh, off his ear and uh, his uh, uh, ear healed beautifully, and uh, I think his comment was the skin was like a baby's bottom <laughs> uh, when it fully healed. Uh, it really looked uh, quite remarkable, and, and he was uh, completely delighted with the uh, the outcome. But patients do need to be aware that there, there are risks of secondary infection, of scarring, um, and um, also um, uh, that... Uh, One of the consequences in in people with more pigmented skin can be a loss of pigmentation, uh, so-called hypopigmentation, Uh, because the melanocytes live quite superficially in the epidermis and they're damaged by the radiation as well. And so the ability to form pigment um, uh, in response to sun exposure, which obviously in patients who've been predisposed to BCC or SCC, we're encouraging them not to have anyway. But uh, if they're they're tanning, they may see that, uh, particularly in the sun exposed parts of the body, uh, that they may see uh, relative hypopigmentation. And,
0: and I suppose you see that sometimes with, with scars, don't you? If you've got a scar and you've got out in the sun, you, you'd see that effect. Well, it's very interesting to to hear about that. So I'm wondering, Dr. Lee, when you're preparing your patients to have this treatment, what do they need to do to be ready to to have the f- the foil and the paste, perhaps on the face, wherever it is? How, how do you prepare them for undergoing this and um, and telling them perhaps about any further follow-ups that they might need?
1: Yeah, so the I often feel like the most complicated part about rhenium is the workup. so leading up to the actual treatment, the consultation, the biopsying, that's often the most involved part. Once we determine that a patient's suitable for treatment, everything is relatively straightforward. Um, there are several things to note. One is, as Professor Hicks, uh, Rod already mentioned, the hypopigmentation is the most common sort of longer-term effect we see from the rhenium, uh, particularly more obvious in high Fitzpatrick skin types or darker skin types. Thankfully, skin cancer is more common in fairer Caucasian skin types, so the hypopigmentation or the lightening of the skin in the area treated usually isn't as significant. Um, having seen quite a few real-world results, I will say that the pigment change you get from treatment with rhenium over skin cancer is still less obvious than a scar you would get from having a skin graft, say, put over the nose, where just the difference in skin and pigment and the scarring can be a lot more obvious compared to normal skin.
0: i going to talk about the foiling process. So Yes, do tell us about that. How, what's it like to actually undergo this as a patient? Yeah. So on the day
1: itself it's very straightforward. Patients don't have to prep, they don't have to do anything special, they don't have to fast, they don't have to, you know, adhere to a special diet or anything like that. They turn up preferably with no makeup on the face, no products, no moisturizer, sunscreen, so as long as they've got clean skin. Um, they come in and what I do is that I examine the lesion under a dermatoscope, which is what you would normally do when treating any type of skin cancer. You mark out where the cancer is, and you also mark up the normal, a marginal normal skin that excess safety margin on the cancer to make sure you safely get rid of all the skin cancer. Um, then the protective foil is applied over the marked up area, and following that, the pace, the rhenium paste is then applied over the protective foil with a special applicator. At our treatment center, this treatment is supervised by. Rod, and his nuclear medicine team is so a very highly trained team of, um, of professionals. And I think Rod has also already mentioned this, but how long the pace is left on depends on several things. So the thickness of the tumor, the size of the tumor, the type of the tumor to some extent, and these calculations are done by a machine, and patients sit in the chair from anywhere between half an hour to three hours, depending on the size of the cancer that's been treated. So they don't feel anything at all during the treatment.
0: And Dr. Lee, those words, though, <laughs> radioactive or nuclear, they're, they're quite emotive, possibly a little bit scary for patients. How how do you reassure them about that?
1: Um, so Rod's already mentioned a few things as well. So what we're using is uranium, not radium. So it definitely doesn't penetrate down to bone. Um, maximal depth of three millimeters is how deep the radiation activity penetrates to. Um, I always say to patients, they're getting a fraction of the dose that they would get if they were to attend, say, conventional external beam radiation therapy. So, things like prostate cancer or even um, radiation therapy used to treat more advanced type squamous cell skin cancers. Patients are getting a much higher dose of radiation. And what we're doing with rhenium for localized skin cancers is a very, 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 very small dose of radiation.
0: And Professor Hicks, when, when something is new or developed like this as a new therapy, um, perhaps patients or clinicians might be a little bit um, wary about taking it on. So what data is there to support the efficacy and safety of this treatment?
2: Most of the data so far has been from single institutions, mainly in Europe, Um, uh, particularly in Italy, there's been a number of single institutional studies where they've treated a a significant number of patients with skin lesions uh, in multiple uh, locations. Uh, They've uh, particularly looked on sun-exposed skin and areas that have been traditionally difficult, uh, if not impossible, to treat uh, with external beam radiotherapy or uh, particularly where surgery might be limited by the location, the, the amount of skin available, prior surgeries and so forth. So it, it's often been in in situations where conventional therapies really weren't applicable, weren't appropriate uh, for the patient's um, uh Retreatment of lesions on the ear and the scalp uh, over the eyebrows, uh, ears, uh, upper lip, uh, those sort of areas, Uh, but not limited to those, Um, uh, particularly some quite uh, nice institutional uh, trial data from Bologna, where uh, quite a lot of the early data came from. Uh, showing that uh, uh, that 50 gray uh, delivered to the lesions um, uh, at varying depths uh, was highly successful in controlling the disease with a single treatment. They also were able to demonstrate that if there was evidence of a, a small amount of residual tumour, that, that this was suitable for retreatment with rhenium as well. Uh, and uh, as time's gone on, Uh, They've also started to look at potentially reducing the the radiation dose, uh, particularly for superficial lesions. Uh, As I mentioned, uh, the the radiation, the particles lose the energy as they pass through tissue. Uh, They've got experience with uh, surgery, uh, particularly the Mohs surgery, which is often uh, used for BCCs. It's a a well-established procedure an external beam radiotherapy, radiation oncologists know it. They've been using it for many years and they've also been refining the treatment uh, uh, to, to get better outcomes uh, with their treatment. So obviously they're, they're very keen to continue to use the, those treatments and we've got to overcome that reticence. Uh, and the best way to do that is with firstly evidence but also with uh them seeing the uh, outcomes of the patients we've treated and and one of the important aspects of of what's been done in Australia is a comprehensive uh, diary of uh, photographs at different time points during the evolution of healing so that we can both monitor and understand the different kinetics of that healing response. Some patients don't get very much inflammation at all and, and can heal very, very quickly in the in the matter of four to six weeks. Other patients can take you know, more than 12 weeks to heal and understanding uh, why and, and where uh, that healing is slower and which particular patients it might uh, uh, take longer uh, will be helpful in giving them guidance on, on that treatment. But also so for the referring doctors to see the outcomes, to see the cosmetic results, and uh, to also see the disease control, uh, you know, it's important with any therapy that we're balancing the risks with the outcomes. And the outcome uh, that we want to have with skin cancer is complete eradication of the local tumour. And, and we want to do that at a time before, particularly with squamous cell carcinomas, which can spread through the lymphatics to the local lymph nodes, Uh, We want to control the disease before that spread has occurred, uh, and to do that with the best cosmetic uh, results. As Min pointed out, uh, you know, sun exposure is the major risk factor, and therefore the majority of of skin cancers in Australia occur on the face, Uh, and that's obviously that's our identity, how we how we look, Uh, we 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 judge ourselves in the world. By, by by our face and people look at our, our, our face. And, and so uh, having major disfiguring surgery is is really quite um, a significant psychological um, uh, stress uh, on patients and often the motivation for them to seek this treatment, uh, to, to have good cosmetic results.
0: Yes, that's an interesting point. Um, so, Dr. Lee, just how could you summarise what you see as the benefits of, of using Rhenium SCT?
1: Um, so the main benefits um, are that it's a very straightforward single-session treatment, non-invasive, no actual surgery involved, um, and also associated with really, really good cosmetic outcomes. Um, I do also want to make a special note that um, we have seen, I can remember a patient we treated with was particularly needle phobic. In this case, an option like renia, um was a really, really good option for her. just a thought of surgery itself was just, Unbearable and not something you should have tolerated. Um, so um, yeah, lots of lots of benefits for patients
0: in general. Thank you, and, and Professor Hicks, what would you say in, in summary? Are the, are the key benefits of this therapy?
2: I think uh, the convenience of the treatment, how how uh, easy it is for them to. Uh, have this treatment as an outpatient uh, to to go home to be able to manage their uh, their, their skin uh, um, in the home without uh, very much uh, need for outpatient appointments, and this is particularly beneficial for patients in remote uh, and rural areas. Uh, and uh, as uh, I think Min uh, said, the, uh, the the psychological um, aspects of both confronting a long period of treatment with external beam radiotherapy or the recovery from major surgery is often very challenging for these patients. The the particular patient that, that Min mentioned She'd let her skin cancer get to almost uh, eight cent- centimetres in, in diameter. It was a huge uh, uh, treatment, uh, uh, lesion, uh, because she was so frightened of, of having any treatment, and, and she's had that uh, completely treated. She's actually gone on a trip um, uh, recently, uh, I think to the UK, Min, that um, uh, to, you know, to, to Italy, uh, and uh, you know, she was wearing her hair down over her forehead to cover uh, this um, uh, unsightly skin lesion that she was too afraid to have treated. And so, again, the, those psychological aspects of skin cancer treatment uh, and the cosmetic results are incredibly important. I think to consider in this, it's it's a very non-challenging form of treatment um, uh, to 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 the patients.
0: Um. Well, thank you both very much indeed for those fascinating insights. Professor Rod Hicks, Dr. Min Lee, uh, it's been so interesting hearing about how this innovative therapy, Renium SCT, can help those with these non-melanoma skin cancers. Great to have you with us today. Thank you.
1: Thank you again, Sue. Thanks for having us. It's been a great pleasure.
0: And thanks very much to our audience for listening. Um, If you've enjoyed this episode, do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Visit the EMJ website for more podcasts and webinars. You can go to emjreviews.com. There's plenty on there. So from me, Sue Samuel, and uh, from our guests, thank you very much indeed. And goodbye for now.